Children have been killed. Families have been destroyed. Homelands have been burned. God, this is all terrible. And we cry out to you, God. Have mercy. Have mercy, Father. We, play, we pray that you would work in the hearts of the, re, the leaders involved. God, give them mercy themselves to see the way that violence leads to more violence. God, we pray that they would receive wisdom to come together somehow for the sake of people not dying. People made in your image, little children torn from their parents' arms. God, have mercy. Father, we pray in the name of the Prince of Peace. We pray in the name of him who will turn every weapon of war into dust. We pray in the name of the King of Kings, and we trust you to do what is impossible. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. Mark really goes back and forth between Jesus teaching about the kingdom of God to Jesus demonstrating the kingdom of God. So if you have a red letter Bible, uh, most of chapter 4 from verse 1 through verse 34 are red letters. That's because it's Jesus speaking continuously. He's teaching these parables that help us understand the nature of the kingdom of God. But then he turns from teaching about the kingdom, talking about the kingdom, to displaying the kingdom in his actions. And that's what we're going to see over the next few weeks. We're going to see the authority of King Jesus on display. So Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. Brothers and sisters, hear the words of our God. On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, his disciples took Jesus with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. But then a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And the disciples woke Jesus and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And Jesus awoke and rebuked the wind and the sea and said, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Jesus said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And the disciples were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There are certain things that only certain people can do. So for example, if you can fly an F-16 fighter jet, then you must be a pilot for the United States Air Force. The closest most of us will ever get is watching Tom Cruise in Top Gun. But if you can actually fly an F-16, then you must be a military pilot. Or if you can cut open 
a human body using scalpels and tweezers and drills and forceps to actually help the person you've cut open, if you can do that, then you must be a surgeon like the rest of us are never taking a drill to someone's body in any sort of productive way. But if you can do that, you must be a surgeon. Or if you can run into burning buildings, search for people, carry all the safety gear, operate all the flame extinguishing equipment, then you must be a firefighter, right? The large majority of us are not running toward the fire. We are doing just the opposite. But if you can do it, you must be a firefighter because there are certain things that only certain people can do. There are certain things that if you can do them, then we know who you are. You can fly an F-16, we know you're a pilot. You can cut someone open in a helpful, healing way, we know you're a surgeon. You're running into burning buildings, we know you're a firefighter because there are certain things only certain people can do. Well, as we read Scripture, we come to find out that there are certain things only God can do. So if that thing is being done, then it is God doing that thing because only God can do it. And one of those things is controlling the weather and the natural elements. For example, listen to Psalm 89, verses 8 and 9. The writer says, O Lord, God of hosts, who is as mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you? You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. So the writer asks, who is as mighty as the Lord to rule the raging sea? Who is as strong as God to still the rising waves? No one. The activity of controlling the sea is reserved only for God because only God has the ability to control the sea. There are certain things that only God can do, so when you see that thing being done, we're forced to conclude it is God doing it. Well, what we see in Mark's gospel, including in today's verses, is that Jesus does things that only God can do. Jesus does things that only God can do. For example, earlier this happened in Mark chapter 2. Jesus was ministering to a paralyzed man. And when the man expressed faith in Jesus, Jesus then declared that the man's sins were forgiven. Well, there were some of Jesus' critics who were present at this scene. And they began to grumble at Jesus saying, why does Jesus speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? You see, these critics could tell Jesus is doing things that only God can do. If you forgive sins, then you're God because only God can forgive sins. It's blasphemous to think otherwise. Unless Jesus really is God in the flesh. Jesus is doing things that only God can do and he's forcing us to conclude this is the Son of God. In chapter 2, he forgave sins, and at the end of chapter 4, he controls the weather. He exercises almighty divine power over the natural elements. There are certain things only certain people can do, and Jesus is doing certain things that make us ask, who in the heck 
is this guy. Could it be? He must be the Son of God. So let's walk back through this story and see how these events unfold. Jesus and his disciples had had a full day of ministry, but now the evening has come. It's time for them to move on to the next town to minister there. And they're going to get there by boat, crossing the Sea of Galilee. And apparently this sea, still to this day, it's subject to sudden and violent storms. So there's a mountain range just to the east of the Sea of Galilee. And when the cool air rushes off the top of the mountains, meeting the warmer air rising off of the sea, it creates these sudden and violent storms. Well, this is exactly what happens to Jesus and the disciples. They're cruising across on this nighttime journey, and verse 37, all of a sudden, a great windstorm arose, and waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. So this isn't just a bad storm, this is a dangerous storm. Their boat is being smashed by waves, seawater is spilling up and over the side of the boat, and you know what that means. As the water in the boat rises, the boat itself is sinking. So the disciples are watching the water level in the boat go up, and that means they are going down. Now, gratefully, I have never been in a sinking ship like this, but I have seen the movie Titanic like a dozen times. And the first half of this movie is a romance story. You know, it's good. But the second half of the movie is when the action really starts. The boat hits the iceberg, the water spills in, and the tension just slowly builds and builds and builds as the water fills and fills and fills the boat. And like 45 minutes into this part of the movie, I am a nervous wreck. My chest is tight, my body's tense, shortness of breath. I'm anxious for Leo, you know? Is he going to make it? That's what the disciples are experiencing, literally. Not in a movie theater, but, verse 38, Jesus was in the stern of the boat, asleep on a cushion. So Jesus' response to their terrifying situation is calm and peace. In other words, Jesus' response to their terrifying situation is the exact opposite of his disciples. The disciples are anxious and worried. Jesus is peaceful and calm. The disciples are panicking, and Jesus is sleeping like a baby. His response is the exact opposite of his followers, and it is just like God to be this way. For example, in Psalm chapter 2, David writes about how the nations rage against God. He writes about how pagan nations plot against God's people. The godless nations want to rule themselves. The heathen peoples hate God's people. So apparently when King David wrote this psalm, it was politically and culturally tense in the Middle East for the kingdom of Israel, just as it is today. But then David tells us how God responds to all of this fury on earth. This is Psalm 2, verse 5. David writes, He who sits in the heavens laughs. 
You and I, when the enemies of God plot against us, we may fear. You and I, when the world seems to be following, falling apart, we may have anxiety and worry. But God, sitting on His throne in heaven, laughs. God has the exact opposite reaction of His followers. He is not paranoid. He is not fearful. He's not anxious. He laughs in the face of supposed chaos. And similarly, here in Mark chapter 4, you and I, when the darkness of storms surround us, we may fear. You and I, when our boat is filling with water, we may have anxiety and worry. But Jesus is laying on his comfy cushion, sleeping. He's not panicking. He's not anxious. He sleeps in the face of supposed chaos. And here's the thing. If Jesus is the center of our lives, and he has peace and calm in the middle of our chaos, then we can draw on his peace. We can draw on his calm. And we can begin to stabilize. A perfect example of this is children to their parents. You know, if you or I want to know how the world is doing, if you or I want to know how things are going on out there, we turn on Fox News or CNN or whatever news channel you prefer. We skim the headlines of the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal to check on the economy, to see how things are going politically. That's how we, as adults, kind of discern how the world is doing. Well, not children. Children don't turn on a news channel or open up a newspaper to evaluate how the world is. Instead, they look to their parents. If their parents are calm, they are calm. If their parents are at peace, they are at peace. The world may be burning down around them otherwise, but hey, mom and dad are doing okay, so things must be okay. Because for children, mom and dad are the center of their lives. And mom and dad's mood sets the barometer for whether things are safe or scary for me. Well, so it is with Jesus and his disciples. We do not look to the reaction of politicians. We do not look to the headlines of newspapers. We don't look to the newscast on TV to set the barometer for how we're feeling. We look to Jesus. And despite all the seeming chaos, he is at peace. Despite all the supposed threats, he is calm. And when we make him the center of our lives, we can draw on his peace. We can draw on his calm, even when life is nuts. So I've got to ask, who or what is setting the emotional barometer for your life? Who or what is setting the emotional barometer for your life? There's a lot of politicians preaching doom and gloom. There's a lot of TV talking heads, radio personalities, and podcast pontificators who are preaching doom and gloom for our world and for the church. And it's given rise to paranoia in our culture. 
given rise to anxiety. It's given rise to uncertainty and panic and just this sense of chaos. Meanwhile, Jesus peacefully sleeps. Meanwhile, the Lord of heaven laughs at any who would rise against him and his purposes. So friend, you make Jesus the center of your life, then you can draw on his peace. You can draw on his calm. You can draw on his confidence, even in the face of turmoil. Let's keep working our way forward through this story. Verse 37, the storm rises against them. Verse 38, Jesus is sleeping in the stern. Second half of verse 38, the disciples frantically wake Jesus and they say to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? So instead of looking to Jesus and thinking Jesus is calm so we can be calm, instead they look to their circumstances and conclude Jesus doesn't care about us. You see, their trust that Jesus cared about them was based on their circumstances. If Jesus really cared about us, he wouldn't let us be going through this. You know the children's lullaby, Jesus loves me? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Well, that's not how the disciples would have sung it. They would have sung, Jesus loves me, this I know, for my life is going well. Things are good, circumstances are great, that's how I know Jesus loves me. That's where the disciples are. And that's where we can be way too often. God, there's no way you can love me and be letting me go through this trial. If you loved me, you wouldn't let this miserable situation have come upon me. It's a very tempting line of thought. My life is good, so God is loving. My life is hard, so God is cruel. That's where the disciples are in the middle of their storm. They complain, Jesus, do you not care about us? Do you not care that we might die? Verse 39, Jesus rises from his slumber, and you got to wonder if he's annoyed here, right? You ever been woken up in the middle of a deep sleep? Can make you really cranky. But mercifully, Jesus doesn't take it out on his disciples. He doesn't lash out at them. Instead, he rebukes the wind. Instead, he lashes out at the sea. Peace. Be still. And at the word of his mouth, the wind ceases. And there was a great calm. Friends, there are certain things only certain people can do. And controlling creation with a mere word, that power exclusively belongs to God. And the disciples know this. So you thought they were afraid before, but now look at verse 41. Mark says, having seen Jesus tame the sea with his voice, simply, the disciples are then filled with great fear. And they start to ask one another, who in the heck is this? That even the wind and sea obey him? You see, the disciples now realize we are in the presence of the holy. 
we are in the presence of the divine. And even though they know who he is, they still can't help but ask, who is this? Like we thought we knew him, but the wind and sea obey him? Who is this guy? Last week I visited my parents in Alabama for a couple of days, and they have gotten a new dog since last I visited. Her name is Layla. And we all try to use our voice to control the dog. Layla, stop barking. Layla, get down. Layla, come inside. And it is all complete futility. It is all a waste of breath. The dog is untamed, out of control, and our commands do nothing to change that. But it is not so with Jesus and the waves. It is not so with Jesus and the wind. At his word, with his rebuke, the great storm is transformed into a great calm. Many decades after this scene, much later in the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 1, verse 3 of Hebrews, quote, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. And he, that is Jesus, upholds the universe by the word of his power. In the beginning, God spoke creation into existence. And now, even the Son of God holds creation in existence by the word of his power. So the disciples know this is no mere man. This is God in the flesh, the eternal Son of God, Jesus tames the storm. And so he here is flashing his divine credentials. So the disciples are right to feel reverent fear in the presence of Jesus. They are right to wonder, who is this? Because there's none like him. There are certain things only God can do, and Jesus is doing them. So what is your response to the person of Jesus? What is your response to the person of Jesus? The question the disciples ask is the one that's asked to us in the declaration of the gospel. Jesus is a friend of sinners, and so I hope you feel welcome and joy in his presence. And yes, Jesus is fully man, and so I hope you feel sympathized with in his presence. But we, through this text, and the disciples in this moment, are getting a glimpse at something even more about Jesus. This text is a revelation to his full divinity. And this should invoke awe and wonder and reverence and worship. In the presence of Jesus, we are treading on holy ground. In the presence of Jesus, we have entered the holy of holies. And so this is where the Christian life starts, and it's really where the Christian life continues, falling at Jesus' feet in humble worship. Falling at Jesus' feet in humble surrender. So how do you answer the question the disciples ask? Who is this man? How do you answer the question the disciples ask, who is this man? This question 
is an invitation to faith. Who do you say that he is? Mark's gospel is crystal clear. Chapter 1, verse 1, Mark tells the reader right up front, this is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. So the declaration of the gospel is that Israel's promised Messiah, the promised Christ, the anointed one, has come. And the prophecies prove it to be so. And Jesus is the Son of God. He's the eternally existing, fully divine Son of God. And His actions, like controlling the weather, prove it to be so. Salvation happens when you acknowledge Jesus for who He really is. And Mark's gospel is confronting us with who He really is. He's doing things that only God can do. Therefore, He's the Son of God. And so I plead with you, acknowledge Jesus for who He is. Admit the truth of His identity. And not only acknowledge who He is, not only admit who He is, but live in light of who He really is. And what a life devoted to the Son of God looks like, at least according to our verses this morning, what a life devoted to the Son of God looks like is fearlessness. Listen again to verse 40. This is right after Jesus stilled the storm. He then says to his disciples, why are you so afraid of this storm? Have you still no faith in me? Now on the one hand, I want to say, Jesus, man, be realistic here. These guys were about to die. The boat is sinking, a massive storm. Give them a break, Jesus. But I do think, in a sense, he is giving them a break. You know, in the verse prior, verse 39, Mark says that Jesus rebuked the wind and the sea. Jesus barks these orders and the storm quickly obeys. But that is not how Jesus treats his disciples here. He is not harsh with them. He doesn't bark at them. You stupid, scaredy cats. He doesn't say anything like that. Instead, he even puts his rebuke for them in the form of a question. So he's not judging them, saying, you're so afraid, you have no faith. No, he asks them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? So you see, there's a tenderness here in Jesus. There's a grace and a patience that Jesus has with us who would follow him. Nevertheless, why are we so afraid? And what is the state of our faith? These are questions Jesus wants his disciples to reflect on. And the logic of these questions is that if we have faith, if we are putting our trust in Jesus, if Jesus is the center of our lives, he's going to start to push out fear. Because he is Lord over the chaos. He is fearless in the face of the frenzy. And again, we can draw on his peace. We can draw on his fearlessness. We can draw on his strength to stabilize us in the storm. The path of growing in courage was not a straight line, even for Jesus' 12 disciples. There were many setbacks for each of them. But the overall effect 
of making Jesus the center of your life, the overall effect will be to lessen anxiety and to increase confidence. Confidence not in yourself necessarily, but confidence in him. Even Jesus at the end of his life, as he faced crucifixion, as he faced separation from the Father on the cross, he was weary with angst, with dread, but he silently, steadily, he courageously marched forward, fulfilling the will of God for his life, dying in our place. So we don't blaze a trail on our own. We don't blaze a trail on our own. No, we are following the footsteps of Jesus. We are following the footsteps of countless disciples who've gone before us, confidently, courageously, facing the chaos in their life, fearing only the Lord, and living with boldness and courage. And so, church, I urge you, release your fears. Over and over again, release your fears in the presence of God. And let's live with a confidence, faith in Him. May we reject the hysteria of our current cultural moment, and may we live with a confident faith in God's one and only sovereign Son who rules all by His Word. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Church, let's stand as we respond to God's Word together.